nothing in the soil in the earth Breaking through the rocks Growing wild and tall Till the buds begin to pop So pack me in a bowl Or roll me in a splint Are you breaking me down You can Hey, this is Ryan Heron, writer and cannabis advocate here in Portland, Oregon. And I'm Amanda Breeze. I'm in Toronto. I also have a job title. I panicked. Let's just keep it rolling. <laughs> There's too uh, many hats and it's hard to keep track of them. Yes. Uh, and speaking of somebody who wears a lot of hats, uh, today we have the director of the Oregon Leaf, Amanda Day, with us. Yeah. And um, she's just going to be chatting and talking about her space in the industry as well. So um, glad to have you with us here today. Thank you, guys. I'm super stoked to be on. This last week in Portland uh, was the smoking jacket, which is put on by uh, Shiragam and and many other people of the Hashishin, which uh, if you are listening to this podcast and you care at all about hash, about rosin, about some of the like delicious final products that can be created with cannabis, uh, I think that's a super great podcast to to get into. I'm a, a member to their Patreon and I get all the extra episodes. They're totally worth listening to if you really love these in-depth conversations with hash makers. So a, a cool thing was uh, this last week here in Portland, they had the smoking jacket too, uh, which represented hash makers from all over. And it's like a, a, a little bit of an ego competition and a little bit of like, see what everyone else is doing out there, but it brings in the best of the best. Uh, and uh, Amanda got to play a big part in it. So that's something we want to kick off talking about today. Yeah, yeah, I was really honored to be there. Um, you know, I, I was able to be there as a, a media personnel and just kind of observing. And, you know, I am a photographer, but I, event photography isn't really my forte. So I teamed up with a friend, uh, Mitchell of Extracts Daily, um, because he's handling all the media for for this whole smoking jacket event. This is the second event they've put on. So he was he handled all the media for the last event and everything in between. So it was really nice to just kind of be there as a, a writer and like observing and just, you know, take part in it and able to chat with everyone. Um, it was a, a, a really incredible event. I keep comparing it to like a hash summer camp. That's what, how we all felt. Um, we, all, we all left every day and came back to see all of our new friends and, you know, had like coffee and breakfast every day and, you know, ate, ate two, three meals a day together at the event place. And uh, it was just a, a great, a great experience all around. So the event is called the smoking jacket and it's all, it's like just hash and also concentrates. And then you guys were like trying them all. Yeah. So the smoking jacket, um, you know, and don't quote me on this because I'm not one of the, the founders and I don't know if they originally intended it to be all rosin, but all of the entries were rosin. Wow. Um, so it was all, all solventless focused. Although I will say there was plenty of incredible like world-class hash floating around that building for sure. I think a lot of people just kind of like entered the rosin and brought their melt. So that was, that was nice. Yeah. yeah, So it was 34 different rosin entries and uh, yeah, uh, there was some, some really beautiful stiff competition for sure. Interesting. And what was, uh, what were the judges like? Did they have like a sort of a matrix they were working off of? Like, how did they go about that? Cause that sounds tough. That was one of the things I respected the most about the event, I think, was they have created like a whole scoring guide. And then at the very, on the very first day, um, so there's actually three different types of judges. You could buy in to be a people's choice judge. 
all of the competitors that entered also had to judge. So they were makers judges. Oh, and I then, loved that. I yeah. Loved and then there was an expert panel of judges with, I believe it's five or six um, judges. Um, and if anyone's curious, the Hashi Shinwoods and the Smoking Jacket was great about posting all this info on their their Instagram. So oh, some, some really incredible, honestly, just too many incredible people to name right off the top of my head. And so, yeah, three different judging categories, which was really cool to see super cool to see those those different tiers of judging so i think that kind of added to the the depth of the the competition oh my god that sounds so fun and don't you just love a community event where everyone's just happy to be there it and was tangible <laughs> well and it was cool because you know they they sold tickets and so there wasn't a lot of need for sponsors or booths mm -hmm. or there wasn't a lot of people trying to sell you on things as far as I could tell. So, yeah, I, I think it was like a really good, like you said, community event, just people to like sit there and hang and kind of show off their work, which is mm -hmm. not something you get a ton of. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of really cool sharing. You know, I think a lot of the time in this industry, people get caught up in like, Oh, my proprietary methods and while that's totally valid and you know you have to make a living you have to secure your place in in any industry it was just really cool to see like a bunch of uh you know like a bunch of ogs just sharing with each other um that was super cool and it was just like you know this is how this is how the innovation really moves forward this is how we continue to, to up everyone's game as far as like hash and cannabis in general is concerned so some really, really cool cultivation panels and the melt panel was one of my favorite. Um, this, uh, it attracted people from all around. There was a lot of, of Michigan competitors too. So um, oh, they wow. made sure they had, yeah, yeah. They made sure they had a, a PNW panel um, with some more local folks to focus on and stuff as well. Oh, wow. That's exciting. So you were invited to attend as part of the media. So full disclosure, I definitely asked. I was like, I wish I was invited. I wish I was that cool, but um, well, no, this I found it. important because this whole season is about breaking into the industry and some you have to ask, that's legit. Yep. You do, you do. Um, you really have to ask, uh, you know, just, I, I think that people's fear gets in the way. I have a lot of social anxiety when it comes to that stuff. Imposter syndrome runs rampant when you're a freelance creative, so. Um, yeah, I, I definitely asked and it helped that I had a couple, a couple people really pushing for me and, and that put in the good word, shout out to Action Matt Jackson and Terp Cam and Extracts Daily. They're all, they're all good friends and they all kind of were like, yeah, sure, I'm like, you should let her in. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know if it would have happened without them. So definitely, definitely have to ask, always ask. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think people would really be surprised. Like if you have set yourself up as the kind of person who would be invited and maybe you just didn't make it on like the short list of somebody mm -hmm. who wrote it down on like three o'clock on a Saturday, then it really doesn't hurt to reach out to those folks. You know, you yeah. can be in the room, you can be part of that conversation. That's, and I have been amazed how the kind of success I had early on in the loud 100, when I was reaching out to top tier photographers or reaching out to like the most premier paper maker I could find in Oregon and being like, Hey, if we bring you a bunch of like cannabis scraps, can you turn it into paper? Like, mm -hmm. it's just another person on the other side of the thing. If they like, would like to have a conversation with you or they think your idea is cool. Like, why not? Yeah. Yeah. We forget that. That's a good point. We forget a lot of the time it's not a brand or an idea or a thing. It's just a human on the other end. <laughs> and they're probably just as shook as we are just suffering from as much imposter syndrome. So 
yeah, just always ask. It's hard, but just do it. You'll feel good. <laughs> and you know, a lot of these weed companies across the States, across Canada, they're small. And mm -hmm. we, we discussed this last week in the episode too. Like sometimes the CEOs, the actual cultivators, the breeders, they're at the events with you and they're these like huge names but they're standing two feet away from you and yep. sometimes they're the ones answering the emails so like yep. it's not like um you know these massive multinational corporations a lot of the weed businesses person to person and like yeah. you said friends they they hyped you up and there you are in <laughs> behind the scenes doing the media that's yeah. fantastic yeah. I mean, they say it's all about who, you know, and you know, I totally agree and totally disagree. It's like, you have to, you have to find the people that you want to know, you know, and, and get yourself in there. Don't use people. Obviously you always want, there's a little give and take, but you, you need to not be afraid to kind of work those networks for sure. Yeah. Connections in this industry is, goes a really long way and just even attending events and having a good time and being pleasant to be around. You're going to get to meet so many other people. <laughs> Just mixing and mingling. Yeah. Especially in the social media era, you know, we all spend a lot of time looking at each other on a screen and then you get in, in front of someone and you're like, oh, this is like a human that I that I actually really like and I can have intelligent conversations with and it's not just a one sentence comment every month. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And it, it feels so cheesy sometimes sharing our stuff on social media. Like I, I sometimes I'm just getting the mood like who wants to see this thing that I made or whatever. But really, a lot of people do. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm such a big supporter of anyone who's creating something or making something or babying a plant or shepherding something along. I'm, I just want to like give everybody a big clap if they're just making or doing something. Right. And yeah. if you have like a whole, uh, a whole feed of all of the cool stuff you've been making over the last couple of years, and then you reach out to somebody and you're like, Hey, can I come to your thing? Or maybe we should meet up and eat tacos. Though it feels kind of like cringe to share some of that sometimes, it's yeah. always worth it. Yeah, you have to be your own advocate. I mean, I heard uh, this, this uh, I think this event was a big networking opportunity for a lot of folks. And I heard a lot of people walking around and, you know, as any event is. And I heard a lot of folks walking around like, it's so hard to sell myself. And it's like, it really is. Um, <laughs> um, but I think that the cannabis industry, a lot of the time, for as unprofessional as we are in marketing, we can be really great in connecting on a personal level. Uh, it's very, it's very different. Uh, those type of events are, I, I think it'd be a stark difference if you went to a cannabis event like that and then some other type of industry event, you know, right after it's, it's still, it still has some of that wholesome community feel rather than just industry. Absolutely. So last week there was a big one in Toronto. It was called Elevate. But one of my friends was speaking at it and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to go and be in the audience because this is someone whose work I've been following. Mm -hmm. This is really cool. They're speaking at an event and it was fantastic. It was so unexpectedly delightful. It was free. All the food no. was free. Indian okay. buffet. Amazing. Oh, wow. oh yeah. Um, and they had just tons of free stuff. And this was, you know, like a sampling. So they had lots of products available as well. But the vibe is resonating with me because it felt like a summer camp moment because you yeah. start to see all the same faces and you start to actually really bond with people like, oh, I didn't know you were in town. And like, you know, it's it's an actual community of people. And, and then you always meet someone new. You always meet a handful of new folks that you've never seen before. And then that's mm -hmm. always fun. I, I know. That. I can, 
I kept saying like each day we were all just like, we don't want to leave. You know, the event would end at six and we're all like lingering, like, oh, we're packing up our rigs, but we're all just like hanging out, talking still. It's like, we've been here since 10 a.m. taking dad. Do you think we'd want to go home by now? But like no one wanted to leave and <laughs> it's, it was great. Also as freelancers, it gets really lonely. So it's nice to like connect with other freelancers. You're like, yeah, you haven't left the house in a few days either. Nice. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> everyone sits down and they talk about all the clients that haven't paid them and it's like oh okay it's nice to commiserate really seriously and a lot of those hash makers i mean the same thing because they're just you know in the garden or in the lab and just working away yeah so much work that we do is just on our computers or maybe a phone call now and then it it's almost i mean it's not almost it's intimidating to go to an event and see everybody there in person and like yeah. i have tons of social anxiety i didn't go to the smoking jacket even though it's like super close to my house and a lot yeah. of people were like come through come through and it was partially because man i i felt stressed to be there you know like yeah. there's there's folks with ten thousand dollar rigs and i'm like i feel like Am I going to do it right? You know, and then it was the last weekend of summer here in Portland. So I had to go out to the river. And, but now I'm kicking myself because, like you said, a fantastic uh, opportunity to network and a really great hash to get your nose into. Like, I, before we move on, I want to make sure we talk about anything like unique or interesting that you got your nose into um, or that you got to, to enjoy while uh, over the weekend. And I'm sure, yeah. you know. 50 dabs later it all kind of runs together but well that's the thing though that that's really cool about those events is a lot of the time you know i could not tell you how many tabs i took because i we were um handed a, a judge's kit as media personnel so that we could like peek through it and everything but we didn't we weren't obligated to like go through and judge everything so i was lucky and that i didn't have to rush through a bunch of things um but i did go through a lot of the samples myself uh, just because i was curious and I was uh, trying a lot of folks stuff that was just that brought things that were not in the judges kit as well. But I mean, there there was a lot of really incredible uh, hash and raws in there. But I, I have to say that a lot of folks, um, you know, if you follow anything as far as the hash or smoking jacket or ego clash or any of these like kind of top tier hash competitions, then I'm sure you're probably familiar with the real cannabis Chris's name because he's kind of been sweeping awards on the West Coast. And I fully understand why now. Um, it was it was really, really cool to try uh, try some of his stuff and then see a bunch of his hash as well. And he ended up taking home the, let's see, it was the, I believe, let me double check myself. It was the People's Choice and I believe the Maker's Choice. Wow. Let's see, for his entry. Yeah, Makers of People's Choice. And it was with something called the, the uh, Jordan 23. And he has chosen not to share the genetics of that. Um, and he had a really interesting metaphor. Um, and his reason why he doesn't like sharing genetics, he's he thinks that it can kind of lead to some preconceived notions of effect uh, and flavor and whatnot when you know the parental lineage of a plant. So he was like, his, his uh, analogy was, he was explaining, um, you know, you, you, when you date someone, you're not interested in kissing their parents. You're interested in their characteristics and who they are and who they, you know, who they are as a person is much different. And I thought that was pretty hilarious, but also very interesting metaphors. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not sure what the Jordan 23 was, but it definitely wowed all of us for the three days before I was walking around and kind of trying to gauge people because it was a blind competition. So no one knew whose entry was what, but at the end we were told the number of the winning entry and for the three days it was pretty consistent i heard everyone talking about that being their favorite so 
Very impressive. <laughs> wow, that's like like jamming the industry. That's like a whole fucking moment to be like, yeah, we're taking it in a new direction. We're not talking lineage. That As a weed nerd, it it bugs me because I want to know, right? <laughs> Um, as, as somebody who like appreciates a little intrigue, like, okay, like I, I do get it. And if you were like, look, this is purple punch. Like, that's all it is. I just mm -hmm. it, threw it to perfection. Mwah. Then yeah. I would, I would be like, yeah, I know exactly what to expect and I'm not going to be impressed. So yeah. I, I do kind of get it. Like, yeah, there's a point. Yeah. And I know a lot, a lot of people I saw on social media, like, why isn't he talking about the lineage and blah, 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 blah. blah. And I mean, we don't, we don't all know the whole story. Um, I'm going to see if I can get it from him, <laughs> but I would love to, I would love to know if maybe there's an, maybe there's an agreement with the, the breeder and maybe the breeder doesn't want the genetics released either. So I just think it's another one of those situations where we should just take it for face value and people need to stop making assumptions and we'll see where it goes. <laughs> wow. That is really interesting. And you'd think you would want to let it be known like people's choice. That's huge. Mm -hmm. And then maker's choice. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was uh, definitely interesting. Yeah. Well, and I can appreciate that there's not a bunch of copycats who are like, oh, I've got that one, you know, somewhere mm -hmm. in my stable, I'll bust it out. And, you know, yeah. Like by Christmas, we'll have a bunch of copycat hash. I don't know. It's now yeah. I'm, I'm like on the hunt for it. And I just, <laughs> I'm just, so yeah. Yeah. I'm, I can't say I've really tasted the profile. Um, I mean, I, I can maybe make some wild guesses at like the, you know, some of the genetics in it based on flavor, but I, I don't know. I, it's interesting. So maybe there's a reason he's keeping it a secret. <laughs> yeah. If you had two or three flavor notes for it, what would it be? Uh, well, when I, it seemed to, to shift a little bit, but the first try that I had, or at least when I like popped the jar open right away, I was like, oh, that's like a pina colada. Like, um, and the, the whole, um, the whole judges kit, you know, a lot of the talk was that there's a lot of similar profiles. And mm -hmm. so, you know, there were a few that really stood out because of being different. There was a lot of Z and papaya profiles and we all know that that's super hot right now, but when it comes to, you know, a hash maker or a grower, I think there's some controversy as far as going with like the hype genetics versus um, just focusing on the hash and stuff. So, and I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm a Z and Papaya fan. So, um, it was, it was nice, but I think that that did give a few people a leg up in the competition that chose not to go with like a Z or Papaya profile. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, speaking of getting the story, like let's get into the magazine stuff. Uh, how, how long have you been director there? Oh, goodness. Okay, so, oh, sorry. Here, I'm going to get him out of here. Really no, hey, everyone loves a dog on a podcast, straight up. Cats, too. Yeah, he, has something, he has something very important to say, apparently. <laughs> yes. um, so, let's see. Uh, I believe July of last year was when I officially started um, directing content. So, it's a little over a year now. But I've been, you know, writing and doing photos and stuff for the leaf for probably three or four, I believe. Well, I, I love the direction you've taken the magazine. It's uh, it's much more aesthetic now. I feel like we get stories that are like really to the point and uh, are about things that I care about, like the sensory experience um, or really like deep dives into a person's like career or character. So yeah, I've I really appreciated the the shift that you've brought to the magazine. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a team effort. I, uh, 
Um, I mean, the industry, it's anyone who's, I don't know how it is up in Canada exactly, but I know that anyone down here in Oregon knows it's been kind of tough for, I'd say, probably the last couple of years, if we're all being honest with each other. And, you know, ad, ad sales can be can be difficult. And that does that does kind of shift some content sometimes because, you know, the more ad sales we have, the more page space we have. So it's 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 nice when our, our ad sales are up a little more and we can explore some of those longer stories. In the meantime, it's, it's really great working with a whole team of folks that that helped me decide on a lot of those stories and stuff too so definitely not just me i picked up the oregon leaf while i was in oregon and it's fantastic it's absolutely fantastic everything from the cover just it's so dynamic and like the articles i was flipping through it of course i picked one up because ryan had a fantastic article in there that i wanted to check out and it it was just great the content was amazing and the like, it was just a good vibe. It was cool. And it didn't feel, um, you know, sometimes with canvas magazines, you can really tell that's that the, the brands that are sponsoring it and the ads that they're putting in lead the way and over influence the content, which I didn't feel like having advertising is a part of running a magazine, but sometimes it feels more like, you know, a catalog than an actual readable piece of material. So I loved that about the Oregon leaf. Well, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. And you're right. You know, there is that balance. You got to have the ads just to even exist as a magazine. Um, but I think in, in cannabis magazines, there's, there aren't too many these days that aren't like more advertorial style, you know, where mm -hmm. you have companies paying for stories and um, I mean, there's pros and cons to both. If you have companies pay for stories, you don't need to fill your magazine with as many just plain ads. But, you know, when we opt for ads, it gives us a little more room to explore what we want to in, in story topics. So give and take. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, you know, I, I've been on the other end of uh, email communications where you're paying to have an essay or an article or an interview in high times or in mm -hmm. forums. You know, and it's like the the highest tier of our uh, entertainment that you can just go and grab from the rack at like a Barnes and Noble or whatever is all full of advertorial stuff anyway. So yeah, um, yeah. it's it's kind of nice to just uh, sit down at a content meeting and be like, who do we want to cover? Who's doing some cool shit? Yeah, it is really nice. It's it's really liberating, and I hope we can continue to be that way. The leap's been around for a long time, and the industry's gone through a lot of ups and downs, and still is. It's a nice way to kind of highlight some folks that that maybe don't get the attention they deserve and tell people stories. So these magazines that have like really great reach, I think high times mm -hmm. is a good example. Uh, and I, I do kind of wonder what someone who has that kind of reach could do to better support the industry. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see just more features on that, the supply chain on where this weed is actually coming from. I think a, a lot of folks walk into a dispensary and have like really no clue. And if you're mm -hmm. buying a CBD product in uh, a state that still has really locked down regulations, I, I think it could be coming from even further. Yeah. Where do publications stand in like moving this culture forward? You know, are we here to just observe? Are we here to be a part of it? I'd like to think we're here to be a part of it and uh, move conversation forward and whatnot. But then, you know, things like it, it gets difficult when you have financial obligations, especially if you're in like an advertorial, like we've been talking about, and you know, someone's paying you specifically to write about a specific topic, then you're kind of, you're kind of obligated just to stay on track. And unfortunately, it seems that a lot of the topics that we probably need to discuss as an industry are topics that folks 
putting the money forward for things like advertisements we might not want to discuss for one reason or another. I mean, that's typical of any industry, you know? Like, And I think we're, we're just still new enough where we all kind of have an understanding of the transitional phase that we're still in. And that makes it so difficult to be, <laughs> to be self-aware. We're all just like, this is gonna change. It is changing. It has changed. We can't stop it. So, and I mean, there's the list of topics that uh, publications could hopefully try and influence is, is endless, but yeah, it's a great question. I can't say, I can't say I have an answer for how, you know, how we're going to help the industry. But I think that as far as localized publications, the best way we can do that is just continuing to tell people stories, you know, tell brand stories that really care about what they're care about the plant and what they're putting out. I think at the end of the day, you just, you share someone's story and, and it's up to the people from there. <laughs> the dog. That's great. <laughs> he really, really wants to make an appearance on this podcast. Endo, you have the mic, you have the floor. That's, what that's fine. If, if he has an Instagram, we'll tag him too. <laughs> <laughs> he does. It's Endo the pit. <laughs> I'm making sure to mark that down and give him his appearance. So it seems like in the industry, your main gig is the Oregon leaf, but you're also doing all kinds of other things. Like a big part of this industry is pivoting, wearing all these hats, but like what, what got you started? Yeah. Um, I think anyone who stumbles into cannabis, is kind of one of those like unclear paths, you know, and you end up life just like life just puts you here. Cannabis seems to be that way. Um, we all have, it seems like everyone I talk to has a very interesting and and like novel worthy origin story in cannabis and so true. Um, yeah it's the most interesting people um but i mean i got started uh you know in in this field i went to school for journalism and multimedia and originally um my plan was to focus on music journalism so when i started in school i was you know covering like live live music events album reviews just all, all sorts of stuff like that I really wanted to be in like the arts and cultures um, writing aspect. And I actually never even really intended on focusing on photography. As I was in university, um, I was working as a bud tender in multiple dispensaries. And this was right before legalization. So I was working in medical dispensaries um, and then worked through the legalization crossover for recreational here in Oregon. And just was like, you know, this is, this is huge. Uh, you know, I've been a long time cannabis consumer, but this whole movement, this is, this is really something like, this is the future things are going to change. And I was like, I'm sitting here in journalism school. My like, our job is to document amazing times in history like this. And this is all passing me by. And when I was going to school, um, because it wasn't, you know, I mean, still not federally legalized and these universities receive federal funding, cannabis as a subject was a big no, no. Um, oh. if wrote, yeah, if you wrote about cannabis, your project would be tossed out and you'd have to redo it. So I fought, yeah, I fought with multiple professors, dropped three or four different classes that wouldn't uh, let me pursue it. And then just would like move on to like the next course in my thing and be like, okay, well, I guess I'll come back to that. 
finally found a professor that was like, shout out to Sun Park at University of Oregon. <laughs> um, that was like, you know what? I'm going to let you do it, but this is on you. You have to bring your A game. You need to be better than all the other students in this class if you want to pursue a topic that's not allowed. And, you know, everyone who's ever written about cannabis in the past when we allowed it got an F, everyone. Um, it was lazy stoner material. Um, so not only was this a federal funding thing, it was a prejudice thing. Like I decided to definitely challenge a few of my professors and spent a lot of time arguing in offices with them. Um, and uh, um, But I ended up pushing out lots of cannabis projects and I think I got A's on all of them. And so they couldn't really say anything to me. And, and you know, at that time I was writing, mostly just writing about cannabis. And I, I my best friend was like, you know, you really need to, get into a multimedia minor as well just in case because multimedia is the future megan griffin shout out to my best friend because that was the best decision of my life and i ended up having a, a stroke one term before i was going to graduate so <laughs> i was unable to finish my schooling and i actually tried to go back uh twice and then just the migraines were so frequent i just like couldn't get through classes and and so i i found myself in a position where i was technically still working jobs bud tending but i was constantly having to call in because i mean i at the i still get a lot of migraines but at the time it was i mean i was lucky if i got like if i had four in a week i was lucky you know just super debilitating throwing up i go blind in one eye like super dizzy just every you know shakes my, my nervous system collapses um uh, just just everything so it was really impossible to like physically be in a dispensary working all the time and i got tired of trying to you know, I get my shifts covered and having to rely on my fellow like coworkers to cover my ass all the time. So I was like, we need to figure something else out and started handling like social media and the menus and the newspaper um, ads and stuff for the dispensary I was working at at the time. And that kind of just led into into the media thing. And I I realized how much I liked taking photos and it had been part of my schooling, but not like a main focus. And I realized that I could do that from the comfort of my home on my own schedule when my health allowed it. And that's that's kind of where it went. I was just like, you know, I, I think if I ever want a chance at making a living uh, while having this disability, I have to I have to like do this. So that's that's where I went from there. And then Sebastian at BA Botanicals um, and Regan at Echo Electuary were my first two clients. They're still su I'm still super close with both of them. Uh, Echo's still like my best client today, and um, so they I, they're definitely really responsible for kind of kicking off my career. I would say. Wow. Yeah, it doesn't hurt that those are like two of the best cultivators and processors like in Very the lucky. state. And you're like, I'm just making their stuff look good. But you do make it look really good. That was uh, when we were putting together our list of folks that we wanted to have on the podcast, like Amanda immediately came to mind. And I, I sold you by being like, just bring up the Echo page and look at all <laughs> the, like macro dab photography. It's like, start there. Because uh, for something that, you know, it's hard to show ice cream in a new light. It's hard to show something you've seen a million times that all mm -hmm. has similar textures and everything in an interesting way. And I think part of what you do in your work outside the magazine and with the magazine is make this stuff look really cool and really interesting. Like I know you just worked with um, uh, Alex work dubs to do mm -hmm. a whole hummingbird out of like uh, hash and rosin. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that and, and some of the other photography stuff that you've done that kind of stands out. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, uh, you know, this year when we were trying to figure out what we were going to do for the concentrated issue cover at the leaf, 
a lot of the time we'll do just like localized markets. So each, you know, each state will have its own photo on the cover with a product from that market. But uh, I mean, Alex worked up, she's known, you know, around the US. So she had some great national reach and everyone loves her work. And she had uh, moved to the Eugene area last year. And I, you know, we'd been talking on Instagram for probably four or five years before that. And so it was really cool to like finally link up with her. And when the Leaf team was kind of pitching ideas, I was like, someone said work dubs. And I was like, um, we need to run with this. She's in my town. Let's do this. <laughs> like, I'm going to call her right away. So Alex and I uh, chatted for probably like a week back and forth trying to come up with a concept. We were like, you know, concentrates. How can we, you know, like you said, we've all seen these a million times. Um, our feed is flooded with, with dab photos and whatnot. So we were like, how can we really... How can we really capture the essence of this concept without being like monotonous? So for about a week, we just kind of like brainstormed ideas and, and wrote down lists. And I think on like a day before we had to shoot, I was like, oh my gosh, like a hummingbird, you know, like it's the es the essence of the plant, the nectar of the plant. Let's put like the flower. And and she just like, she was just like, okay, like done. Like, you know, I just, I had this idea and she was like, I can do it. And like, just pulled it off so beautifully. I think it took her like four or five hours to construct that in, we actually use the echo electuary cold room, the, the hash room. So we were, you know, we're in like 30 degree room um, and she was in there for like four hours handcrafting that. Otherwise it would have just like you know, melted. <laughs> so, um, and then I, she, it's a very small room. So then she left and I went, I went back in and I think I spent about three, four hours uh, photographing it. So. <laughs> Beautiful. And then did somebody get to dab that hummingbird? Um, so the thing is, is you probably didn't, wouldn't really want to just because of how much it was handled. Yeah. Um, so we, and it, yeah. And then, for uh, science, are, though, you know, right. For science. Yeah. We have dabbed actually, I don't know if you uh, saw on my page, but Alex and I did one other collaboration together. We did, um, like a Dia de los Muertos skull, uh, and had like a turt pole inside of it. And that one we did dab. <laughs> I think that was like a, that had to be like a gram of a couple different types of rosin. So that was fun. But the hummingbird did not did not get dabbed. That would have been a monster though, because that was probably like a good two, three grams, I'd have to say. <laughs> so I did want to ask you if you approach content creation for the magazine, like what we need and like what's gonna get put up that month and mm -hmm. and photography differently. No, I mean that's a good question because I do totally approach them both very differently. Um, for a couple reasons. <laughs> At the end of the day, as, as much as I love doing everything I get to do, it is a job um, and I have to try and budget my time. I, I'm not good at it, I will admit. <laughs> I spend a lot of days pulling like 24 hour work days. Um, so it's not good. I'm trying to get better about that. But, but yeah, so when it comes to like magazine photography, um, you know, I want to take into account what are what's the writer trying to say? What are we trying to portray? How can I visually illustrate that, whether it's with like color or movement or props? I shoot stacked photography and for the magazine, I will, I'll keep it a little simpler. So, you know, for one of like my dab photos, that might be like 40, 50 images stacked together um, to make a single shot. And for the magazine, I'm probably not going to be doing more than like 10 just for, you know, budget and time, time sake, because my my turbodactyl work is quite a bit more expensive than, you know, just any publication. It's magazine work isn't, isn't the highest paying. Um, so, so yeah, uh, some of that is, is part of just budgeting, but then also just trying to fit the story. Whereas like when I'm 
shooting just for my Terpodactyl clients. I'm either working off of like a brand vision that they have or just sheerly they give me something and are like, make magic. And then just do whatever I want. Whereas with the magazine, I'm trying to kind of create a story and, and some some visual aid to go along with that. And when you say you're stacking them, like, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, when, when you take a, a single photo, like if you just to snap a photo on your phone or whatever, there's obviously some limits to the depth of field. Um, and that just has to do with, you know, your lenses and the technology and whatnot. Um, when you stack a photo, basically you're taking a bunch of different photos at different depth points of that, uh, that particular item or subject that you're photographing. Um, and then you end up combining all of those images into a single image. And so you get like a, a deeper, more, I don't want to call it 3D because it's obviously still 2D, um, but you get more depth and, and detail. And so it is, it's a much longer process. You know, you have to use a stacking reel that basically shoots an image, you know, like if, if, you know, this is your stacking reel, my subjects like right here, it's going to shoot a bunch of images, like moving closer, basically, so that I can capture the whole depth of the subject. So rather than just snapping a single image of one thing, it's going to be, you know, 40 to 50 of that single item that turns into a single photo. You know, um, I always wondered how the pictures look so dynamic and 3D <laughs> really is a good way to describe it. Because even when you're on your phone and you're scrolling through the Instagram, it's the, your photos are so dynamic. It's like your life. Like, yeah. And I mean, I'm, I, uh, you know, I photo stack, but there's, there's photographers out there that are, I would say even more masterful than me for sure. Like obviously Eric Nugshots is like the flower master of photography. Terp cam is incredible. Devin at things from the Stein, Chris Candid Kush, Kurt Ice. There's just, there's so many incredible photographers that you know, I didn't directly learn from, but they influenced me and, and, you know, got me intrigued in that. I definitely would have to shout out Bubble Man, BC Bubble Man, because his work as just like a hash maker and photographer is really unique. His perspective is really cool. It gives him a, a great perspective in both aspects. You know, he uses his photography to inform his hash making, his hash making to inform his photography. And it's just, it's, uh, he was my original inspiration back in the day for sure. I think that makes a lot of sense because I've had people photograph weed for me in the past. And I always feel like the shots, like the center of the image is like that one leaf that didn't get trimmed off or like mm -hmm. a, maybe there was like a little seed pocket and that's like somehow that's what it's freaking zoomed in on. <laughs> it's because they don't work in weed. They're amazing photographers. Mm -hmm. But is a very specific Thing that you're doing and there really is photographers that have emerged with their own style that mm -hmm. really stands out and you can as someone who looks at so much weed porn on the <laughs> internet you really notice the quality photos of people who really understand what it is they're photographing yeah and I mean yeah you, yeah you make a great point I mean all those guys that I just listed off if I'm not mistaken, they either came from working in the cannabis industry, like I believe Kurt Ice was like a bud tender before, just like me, you know, and, you know, they came from working with cannabis and that was their original interest. And yeah, you're, you're very right. Because let me tell you, if you hand a, a bud to someone who doesn't know about cannabis to photograph for a grower and you give it back to that grower, they're going to find, they're going to find the little insect in there. They're going to find like the dog hair. You need to know, um, you need to know that that's, that's not what you want in your flower because <laughs> then you don't the want angle, it in your photo either. The angle is such a big thing for me too, because this one thing per person I'm thinking of went stem. It was like the butt first. And I'm like, <laughs> you're basically photographing the butthole of a nug. Like we yep. want like a little side, a little profile action. It is. 
freaking stem shot. What I have had so many food photographers that you give weed to and you're like, hey, we shoot this and you expect them to kind of have like an eye for it and you get the butt shot back and it's like, okay, I finally have to like realize that th this is the reason you hire someone like Turpidactyl to do all your brand vision and to follow that out because 10 years of thinking about these different shots and having your Instagram feed just flooded with redundant images. Like I barely even clock a photo, uh, a flower mm -hmm. photo anymore. If the mm -hmm. grower took it, because it's always this, like from six feet up directly at the colas in the room, I'm looking at 40 different weed plants and they all just moosh together. And I go, okay. But then you give someone with a little vision who's tired of the redundant shots to try and get a little something new. And I think, it was important earlier you said some of your work doesn't get the same amount of hours because mm -hmm. it's a visual aid and needs to get knocked out and, and put up, but it still has your eye and that attention. And it's not a butt shot. Mm -hmm. Even if it's done quickly, yeah. it's going to be done with a proper eye. And I think yeah. that that's like really important for anyone who's hiring somebody or even thinking about working in this as like, like you said, come with your A game, come with something kind of fresh and make sure you like understand your subject. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I can't blame these growers too. Like it's, it's so, so much work. So like, how can we expect them to be awesome growers and then also good at like taking a photo, you know, like we each, we each got to focus in on our lane and like, you know, help each other to create the best all around, um, whatever it is, a brand, uh, um, idea. But yeah, uh, and I agree. I think that the the feed is flooded in iPhone garden shots, which is cool. I still like looking at gardens and stuff too. But if you're trying to stand out in a market that is, I some people hate the term oversaturated um, <laughs> for some reason. But yeah, if you're trying to stand out in in the market that is that's there are at the very least you have twenty competitors, you know, in every direction of you. You need to find a way to stand out and. For better or worse, social media is often that way, especially with a lot of the limitations on marketing and cannabis. So yeah, we talked briefly with Blunts and Beans, their issue with just being on social media and mm -hmm. trying to get the word out and boost the signal of their events. And that's difficult with cannabis. So how do you kind of navigate that? It is very difficult for sure. If there's there's really like no specific formula for navigating it unless you have like an in at Instagram. <laughs> that is the formula. Find a connected Instagram so that when you get your violations are shut down, <laughs> you can just get uh, your page back up. But uh, that's not practical for most of us, uh, myself included. But you just have to be really, really careful. Even when you're careful, sometimes that's not enough. You just have to try and outsmart the algorithm, <laughs> which seems so silly but your wording wording uh i just don't even hashtag anymore because i found that like even if something is okay one day the next day it's going to get flagged for violating community guidelines and then your post is hashtagged into that so your post is affected and so i've just like given up on hashtags all around to be honest and you know avoiding a lot of trigger words it seems pretty pretty straightforward when you read the the community guidelines but i still see tons of producers that'll be like uh just drop is another word you know this drop just went out like instagram's figured out that you're talking about products dropping <laughs> you know it's sale or just straight up writing weed or cannabis and stuff like that and as, as much as it sucks that we have to censor ourselves like the word hash like that's why a lot of the time you'll see me with like a weird little at symbol instead of an a and stuff 
it's it's frustrating and it does suck to to censor yourself but if you want to stick around you just have to try and outsmart outsmart the algorithm and flower producers are at a, a disadvantage for sure because flower photos really really get flagged a lot so you do have to you do have to get creative. I I always just try to take a, an ease off approach. If you feel like you're getting some violations or uh, you feel like you've been shadow banned, try not posting for a little bit, like, you know, at least a week or something, which is hard for people because I know that kind of the whole thing of social media is like consistency and constantly being in the feed. But if you want to keep your page, I think that it, it is helpful to slow down sometimes. <laughs> so... It's just another example of how this industry operates so differently. Mm -hmm. Like we're working with so many new businesses. We're working with people that are trying to, you know, advertise their businesses. Social media is the way to do it. You can't post on there. You're it's just such a strange industry to navigate. It is. And, and I think that's actually really why it's such an interpersonal industry as well, because that's where people are actually finding out things. That's yep. where you're discovering all this new stuff yeah no that's a really good point i think that that's um why the community aspect hasn't really hasn't really faded too much yeah because we're, we're very limited when it comes to social and uh and you know digital outreach and for years we never posted anything online anyway so it's exactly also one of those funny things where it was never the way and now it is the way and now it's mm -hmm. still not working for us so um, which is yep. also magazines and print that are so essential to the industry. No, I, I totally agree. And I think that a lot of producers forget that. <laughs> and, you know, everyone looks at, at print media as like as dying still, which, you know, in a digital age, it is, it's definitely not what it used to be. Um, but I think that we just need to revisit print media. I think that we push it aside and forgot about it in the rush of social media. But I, you make a great point. Yeah, you need to you need to look you need to get creative. You have to look to outside outlets. Print media is definitely one of those ways. And I'm not even just saying that being from the leaf. Uh, I fully agree. And I even just as a freelance photographer, seeing my prints out there in the wild and the reaction that it gets versus social media, it's it's impactful. People still want tangible, whether it's art or advertising. People still still like that. So, what kind of advice might you have for? someone trying to break into media find find your community of creatives um and just get your get your hands on cannabis that's what i would say i think most of us started by getting to know cannabis in some way or another and you know the visuals the and, and the writing and stuff kind of like evolved around that so yeah just i would say just you know get into cannabis whether that's getting a job in cannabis taking photos on or writing on your own time or you know, working with a company that it wants to grow with you. I think that's how a lot of us, you know, a lot of us started working with our hands in cannabis and then being like, hey, I'm going to grow these, you know, photography skills while I'm here at this job. Um, let's like grow together. That's that's my best advice. Yeah, just hands on cannabis and, and get involved in the creative community. <laughs> I love that so much. Also, it's always nice to hear you started as a bud tender and then you made your way through and found your niche area in the industry. That is a fantastic way to get your foot in the door. Just being in the shop, seeing what people are selling, flipping through magazines and supporting other creatives. That's fantastic. Yeah, you make a good point. I think the butt tender thing is a very, it's a special position because if you want to work in 
visuals that are supposed to appeal to the masses or consumers, then you better know what consumers and the masses want. Lots of different positions in the cannabis cannabis industry will give you valuable insight, but I think bud tending is kind of unique in that regard because you're face-to-face with the people who are going to be browsing those photos or reading those articles. So it's, it's really valuable for sure. Just getting in there and saying, hey, let me take on this extra job, whether that's social media or that's metric or that's doing inventory or whatever, making yourself more valuable in that way is great. And that also sets you apart from, look, there's, I don't know, 10,000 bud tenders in Oregon, mm-hmm. something like that. There's mm-hmm. only a thousand people who are like running the shops, these kinds of things. It's just building your skills a little bit is enough to put you way ahead. And then if you've been doing it for 10 years and have developed a style and a voice and you've networked, like really the places where you can plug yourself in are, Mm -hmm. there's tons of opportunity there. Yeah. You got to be really self-motivated, which I I even struggle with sometimes. The the networking thing. Yeah, you're so right. You really need to put yourself out there, which, um, you know, that can be hard. I know both of you understand being, (laughs) spending a lot of time freelancing and stuff. It's, it can be hard to put yourself out there, but I think finding that community of whatever creative outlet you're going for, finding that community of creatives is like the best way to to kind of, if anything, at least just build that confidence, you know? So true. And I loved that in the beginning, you talked about the imposter syndrome because you're director of a freaking magazine. You run a fucking media company. You have amazing work. And yet we all feel it too. Like someone might not look at the your body of work and think, this person isn't confident to attend an event or ask for a media pass. I like that resonates. That really resonates because it is tough. And yet your resume would say otherwise, right? Well, thank you. But yeah, no, it is tough. It's, it's very, it is, uh, it's very tough. I'm, uh, I wake up with crippling imposter syndrome every day, but I honestly, all the people I talk to, I think that's what drives us, you know, is, is to get out of that is to like, I got to try at this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like at the end of the day, we're just trying to impress ourselves, which I don't know if that can ever be accomplished. So I think that's a good thing though. I think it's healthy. Like I don't think that, I don't think we would advance as a society if we didn't doubt ourselves like that and, and just try and put in that extra effort. Well, that's great. If if you want to hire somebody that's going to stay up 24 hours to like uh, <laughs> nail your work and uh, and hit those stack shots, uh, let us know where we can find you. Well, you can always find me on social media um, at terpodactyl underscore media. I am constantly shadow banned, so you have to type in my full name. <laughs> but yeah, terpodactyl underscore media. You can go to www.terpodactyl.com. Um, you can check out leafmagazines.com pretty much at any given time and find some of my work across our various publications and lots of other amazing work from amazing creatives, including Often Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, all of those magazines are online and digital, so you can just bring one up and smoke a joint and flip through it, and it's it's a lot of fun. That's usually how I read them before I get my print copy in hand, so it's totally worth yeah. it. Right. It's fun to read it online and in hand. (laughs) Yeah. No, I do both. (laughs) Usually when I'm rolling a joint on the cover of the second one. Yeah. It's so true. And I was poking around the website. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. You guys have so many articles. And for all of our Canadian listeners, we don't get the physical copies here. It's the copy is amazing, but the website is thorough and has tons of fantastic articles. Well, thank you. Hey, I hope we could do a Canada publication one. I'm Canadian, so I'd be super down to move back up to Canada and start that. I am. (laughs) Where are you from? 
So I was born in Regina, Saskatchewan, but then I grew oh. up in like Calgary, Alberta. And then I mostly just go back to Vancouver, BC because I have my, my favorite uncle is up there. So. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. Okay. So you, did you say you're in Toronto? I'm in Toronto, but I was okay. just in Alberta and okay. the ones and beans you were talking about from the last episode, they're Alberta as fuck. And they're repping the Alberta Canada scene so hard. I so, know. I, I follow them. That's awesome. Honestly, so Portland wowed me. The weed there, out like unbelievable. Um, Alberta also yeah. fucking wowed me. I was really. I don't want to say I was surprised because it sounds like we're, you know, it's classic Ontario being like surprised by another province. But like, legitimately, I was wowed. Really? Okay. Alberta as being a cultivation epicenter, yeah. and yeah. yet. Yeah, that's super interesting, but it kind of makes sense to me because isn't there a big like rural culture and stuff there too outside of obviously like Calgary's a massive city, but like Oregon, same way. I think any place that agriculture, like the agricultural community thrives, it's like a surprising, I mean, I guess not surprising because obviously you have to grow cannabis, but as far as the type of people, yeah, that almost doesn't surprise me. Now I want to go back up to Alberta. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little bit conservative, but also I never really thought of like the prairie climate being like mm-hmm. you, the, you think west coast you know you yeah. think immediately weed west coast so yeah anyway i was a little surprised myself coming back from there um but they had some fantastic products so that's good to know i've got a i've got a friend in alberta that keeps trying to get me to come up and visit and my fiance has never been and i've always said we have to go to the calgary stampede at least once like in your life well so. i'm gonna x out the stampede and send you guys you should go to camp canada next year <laughs> Yes, yes. I We were just talking about how we really need to get to like a, a Canadian cannabis event too. Someone sent me something and was like, oh, it's on the 30th if you want to come up. And I was like, oh, it's a little too soon, but <laughs> well, I wish. Well, a whole year to think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'd be awesome. But now Saskatchewan, I know we're trying to close out here. We Maybe we should plan a trip to Saskatchewan because like maybe there's some like really well-kept local secrets in the cannabis scene there that we just haven't heard of yet. So I left there when I was probably like one. So unfortunately, I don't know it too well. But my mom always used to tell me that they would have a, like a lake festival every year. And there would be people that would bring like a bale of cannabis in on a helicopter for it. So I have a feeling there is some really good weed hiding up there in like the boonies of Saskatchewan. <laughs> it sounds it sounds like maybe there's a, a unique culture up there. And I would love to go back and visit. A fucking bale. <laughs> I yeah. Love it. yeah so we'll see i don't know they've got something going on oh, all right seed planted we're gonna, yep. we're gonna you know out. there's really good weed everywhere you just gotta know right? the right the right folks right it's true it's true well thank you so much for coming on our podcast today we love your work and we appreciate you sharing your story with all of our listeners Thank you guys so much. Um, you know, known Ryan for a long time. Love, always loved working with him. And as soon as he asked me, I was like, I mean, of course. <laughs> yeah, glad to have you on for sure. Well, great. Um, you know, everyone, you can find us at the dot smoking spot on Instagram. I'm at the Lao 100. Amanda, where can we find your great work as well? Oh, fellow shadow banner here. It's at emerald.temple dot living and you also have to type out the whole thing which i picked a shorter name if i had known that a few years ago um but i have too many business cards so it's not going anywhere yeah you know what you order that stack of a thousand or whatever and it's like well i've committed that's where i'm at too thanks everyone we'll be back next week with more
cool jobs in the industry. Thank you, guys. Said no matter what kind of pain and anguish life may bring you, oh, smoke it up, hold it down, and don't ever stop. Well, you can always find your smoking spot. Yeah, you can always find your smoking spot. Smoking Spot fans, we're here to tell you about the newest launch from Centelligence Projects. Over the last year, we've created the Cannabis Aroma Wheel. It's a sensory tool designed to help connoisseurs take their knowledge to the next level. So whether you're a bud tender, dispensary owner, cultivator, or you just love the smell of weed, you can better appreciate the cannabis in front of you. Get your copy of the most detailed sensory tool built specifically for the cannabis industry and order your Cannabis Aroma Wheel today at centelligenceproject.com.